Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. Once again, giving you 20 minutes or so of our thoughts, covering three areas of interest in and around the hotel investment space. Uh, my name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week with a look at what's going on at the big French uh, hotel group Accor. They recently had a Capital Markets Day which saw them setting out their stall um, and, uh, and letting us all know what they intend to be doing over the next three or four years um, as they continue the transformation of the business um, from uh, asset heavy to asset light and much more moving away from the core IBIS and budget hotels into all sorts of far more exciting uh, luxury and lifestyle vehicles. So uh, a number of targets they've set themselves for growth, um, the number of targets they've set themselves for moving into other parts of the world in more substantial ways. And of course they have just recently uh, transformed themselves with an internal split into two parts, the kind of uh, uh, exciting lifestyle and luxury stuff and the uh, very worthy but um, very very great in volume, the kind of Ibis and the Novotel, the kind of budget and economy end of their, their business. Um, Sebastian Bazan is still at the helm and um, as ever stirring it up Andrew yeah and and he has been stirring it up for some time Um, not always I would suggest a great effect Mm. Um, (laughs) the question I would ask about Accor is does it have an inferiority complex Um, (laughs) because I I really struggle to, to understand why it keeps trying to reinvent itself here it is, the world's number one economy hotel player. Uh, it doesn't seem to want to be that. <laughs> what, 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 what's wrong with being that? Uh, you know, mm, yeah. what's what's their problem? Um, I mean, it's got this fabulous um, reputation for being a sort of cost control machine. You talk to any owners, they say Accor, they're just brilliant at keeping costs under control. They they have that reputation as managers. Um, they have the reputation in terms of uh, as uh, you know their franchises as as being efficient and effective. What what's your problem? Um, mm. That I just don't get it actually. So I, I sort of you know looked at this capital market state there was a lot in there and i think we will be returning to this at various points so certainly i think there's a lot in there about luxury and lifestyle which is something i'm you know you know we've previously written about we've previously spoken about on this podcast saying you know it's a pretty good thing is it you know where they're heading with that makes a lot of sense but nonetheless it's something they're building up when here they are having already built something up which they could <laughs> exploit if they decided to do that now um the thing is outside of the u.s and china ibis is the world's number one hotel brand um and that is a you know a very fabulous thing to be um Ackle's own numbers they talk about the global accommodation market and in 2022 the number they put on the value of bookings in that market was 960 billion u.s dollars now the uh the 
premier mid-scale and economy bits the the pme um known internally i think within acor as power brands and i think it's a much easier thing to call it the power brands division um this, this is worth 315 billion in booking value um and that's excluding the us and china so th just to be clear that's not just acor brands that's the overall um um upscale mid-scale and economy brackets if you like that's what they reckon that's worth outside of the us and china so that's about a third of the um the overall accommodation market and accor dominates it um and you know it's very strange why even within that even when they look at uh, um this market where they've got you know um they think 18 percent of economy ho of the economy hotels market again outside the us and china um they have nine percent of the mid-scale market and five percent of the premium market and guess which one they flagged up in their capital market state where they want to grow it was the one where they've got five percent market share which um i sort of get in terms of well look they've got a bigger opportunity in premium but by golly surely they ought to be leveraging that 18 percent um control they have of the economy hotel market what's the problem with it why don't you just get on and do that um and so it, it, it's a you know it's it's a real um puzzle to me this um it made me reflect a little bit um, back to the early stage of my career I was the uh, business editor at uh, Cater and Hotel Keeper and um, every year we used to report on the UK restaurants that had won Michelin stars um, and then six months later we'd pull up the list of who'd won six months earlier and we'd give the quick ring round and we'd found out a whole bunch had gone bust which, <laughs> which made for quite you know quite a good story um always um unfortunately you know the the top board within um the magazine at the time the editor just was not very interested however whenever i pitched uh, an idea of uh, mcdonald's and what mcdonald's was doing it was always those michelin stars that caught the eye of the editor and i mm. you know there is a parallel here i think with accor they their, their eyes seem to be caught by shiny things all the time rather than doing the things which actually delivers um and you know as an investor i look at the market cap of mcdonald's um and as we record this it's 215 billion us dollars so that's you know four times the size of marriott um so you know i'd sooner have a mcdonald's than uh, a michelin star or three um from an investment perspective um you know and certainly as a franchisee looking to maximize my economic return you know i'd rather be you know in the company of the clown ronald mcdonald than i would some fancy pants michelin starred chef i, I rather suspect that uh, dear old ronald mcdonald would deliver me a far better return um so you know and, and you look where we are with this and you know I, I i get that it's not sexy this sector but the fact is that mcdonald's share price is up 86 percent over the last five years Accor's is down 25 percent um that that is a bit of an indication there um you know where the action is and where it 
you know can get delivered if you've got the right offer now mcdonald's is the number one there in that burger market Accor is the number one there in that economy hotel market um focus on that double down on that and deliver um and it's a complete puzzle to me why they keep trying all these other things i can't remember who said it to me but uh, uh you've reminded me of the phrase sell to the masses and you'll eat with the classes Oh, it's very good. Sir. It's like a Yorkshire saying. Like, yeah, I think it probably is. That, that harder, harder vowels in there, <laughs> yes. Now, the next topic we're going to talk about is uh, the whole issue of uh, sorting out debt as it gets more expensive and harder to come by. Uh, how are people in the hotel sector going to deal with uh, refinancing those expiring uh, loan agreements? And um, we got a fairly good insight into the way the banks and other alternative lenders are thinking about this sort of whole situation um, from a, uh, a webinar this week, um, which uh, was led by HVS, um, but also Bird and Bird, the law firm, and uh, a raft of other lenders got involved. Um, the scale of the of the of the problem uh, is 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 fairly substantial. Uh, Tim Barbrook, head of uh, EMEA Debt Advisory at HVS, said he reckons that around forty three billion euros worth of hotel funding across Europe is going to have to be rene- renegotiated or renewed by the end of twenty twenty five, and so uh, that's. It's quite a large number, whatever you think, um, and it's going to be quite tricky because um, you're just not going to be able to renew loans on the same basis as you've had them to date because you're being squeezed by far higher interest rates being demanded of the lenders and also um, values are kind of being squeezed as well. So uh, that uh, what might have been a 60% loan to value loan two years ago is going to work out with some substantially different metrics today. So some big problems, uh, but the you know the, the the guys from the banks all all making the right noises, as in they are still prepared to do business, prepared to lend. But hey, it's got it's got it's just getting a lot more difficult. Yeah. So. I, I think the, the first thing to say here, where there's a problem, where there are challenges, there is also going to be opportunities, and there are people who are going to exploit those opportunities. Now, I'm going to talk about that after our next item on experiences. So just just park that one mm-hmm. for now and come back to some of the things you were talking about there in in terms of the refinancings and stuff like that. But let's just get onto the economic bit in terms of what's going on with interest rates what's going on with inflation Um, and I I think there are tentative signs now that we really are beginning to see the back of this Um, or at least it's going to start trending the other way now I'm not going to say we're going to be heading back towards two percent inflation um although certainly if we do have a very sharp recession we will get to that and below i suspect but uh, i would suggest that's probably not the the most likely outlook right now but what we did see is um um today as we recorded this um, in the US the latest jobs market data came out and that's showing fewer jobs have been added than expected they also revised um, the previous month's numbers to to show a similar thing Um, so it is a clear sign that maybe just maybe we're, we're sort of 
getting the sort of froth out of the market and things are going to start uh, stabilizing and hopefully get get a lot better um um, and certainly if you look at some of the numbers so if the organization for economic cooperation and development the paris-based think tank they put out a release this week um, titled headline inflation slows markedly to six and a half percent in may so that's pretty good news now of course that didn't happen in the uk and the the outliers were the uk the netherlands and norway um, which all had an increase in that headline inflation um, but overall we are seeing um, inflation go down and there are good reasons to believe that you know the uk and the netherlands and norway will be joining those in the declining inflation club quite soon so the big driver of this decline in um, inflation is what's happening in the energy market um, that was down 5.1 percent inflation um, inflation in energy so it's a negative 5.1 percent which had a big impact in terms of that headline number now in the uk we've still actually got positive energy inflation because of how we've decided to um, put sort of consumer support in place but clearly that that overall market position is going to come out in the uk as well so that will drag our headline inflation down a bit more as well so um i think that is yeah we are heading that way in terms of uh, inflation food inflation appears to be topping out now as well um it's been particularly marked in the uk um but again i think that is um heading south um and maybe you know we are going to have a session um i think that's looking you know more or less a cert racing certainty but it's looking like it's going to be a mild one and um capital economics um what they're saying is that the, we've had a, a slow impact from the um interest rate hikes you know because of people on fixed rates um it's just taken as those fixed rates have to be refinanced you know that's when the consumers get hit you know those mortgage payers something like 30 percent of the homeowners or home occupiers in the uk have mortgages um so even there that's a, a, a you know less than a third of the overall um, consumer uh, population being hit by these tightening rates so and with the fixed rate issue as well you can see why it takes a while for those rates rises to to kick in um but uh, um what investors in hospitality real estate have are going to have to way up is just how much the the higher cost of debt has shaved off the value of of, of their assets um, in a way inflation is a friend here um, because the nominal prices can hold fairly well um, if we've got significant inflation and and you can see the adjustment coming through in in um, the real values going down but the nominal prices being fairly stable so this gives hope for a soft landing um, six months ago I wrote that um, you know a Goldilocks recession was likely not too hot and not too cold um, and I think this still stands up now even if um, I'd suggest the downside risks are looking um, a bit bigger than they did six months ago now we've been having a look at how uh, the, the UK's sort of um, high streets and, and city centres are changing um, and it does appear that uh, as as retail uh, 
this continues to shrink in terms of the floor space it needs uh, there's certainly a question mark over the volume of offices we're all going to need as hybrid working seems to have taken hold after the pandemic uh, the, the question is what what happens next and it does look like um, experiences leisure and hospitality are the key issues uh, that are coming to the rescue and um, so we're seeing an increasing number of of uh, landlords shifting their portfolios and and restructuring their their property holdings to accommodate these new types of uses <coughs> for, um, you know empty department stores or empty major stores and city centers um, the landlord has to accept that he's not going to relet it to another retailer and then is uh, forced to come up with some creative ways to do something else instead um, and one of the most remarkable uh, examples of this <coughs> a quick look at what's happening in Edinburgh where uh, there's a complete roll call of pipeline hotels um, many of which are converted going to be converted from retail space or office space um, the Ruby um, uh, a new tribute portfolio property the new resident um, several of them are conversions from existing buildings and of course not only is this um, uh, good for city centres it's actually quite a green way to repurpose buildings as well um, but for the big substantial landlords Landsec um, Shaftesbury Capital those sort of people who hold large slices of um, predominantly retail and or office space in big city centres it's quite a task to um, uh, admit that what you hold has lost value that's not going to come bouncing back and then decide you're going to have to do something which involves even more capital investment to turn it around and deliver something that's going to work into the future so challenging times for landlords yeah well i mean uh, land securities the 622 million pre-tax loss they reported for the for the year to the end of march highlights just how bad the the situation is and that that red ink is entirely down to a uh, um the downward valuation um of the the group's assets as as you report um chris now um and i think you go on to talk about what um, they had their own capital markets day at uh, Land Securities, and they they discussed how they were using uh, um, leisure to sort of reanimate some of those uh, rather tired shopping centres. And uh, um, in terms of repurposing, mm. more than half was now going on. Um, was it fifty? Five percent will go on introducing alternative uses, which are mostly in in sort of a hospitality or hospitality-like things. Certainly, experience mm. economy things. Um, so there's a clear shift there, uh, of which um, you know that the, ex the experience economy is is driving the change. Um, so I, I said I would go on to talk a bit more about debt mm. and the reason for this um, why I want to talk about debt again in relation to you know this very interesting story about land securities and how it's doing uh, um, with experiences and what it's doing with experiences rather um, is that uh, it was supposedly exiting um, a portfolio of 21 Accor hotels now this was reported as a slam dunk deal a few months ago um, but it doesn't look so slam dunk at the moment because mm. we <laughs> it doesn't appear to have been formally announced and certainly not completed so um uh, it's not that um the putative buyer i think um 
Ares has got cold feet on hotels. I mean, we mentioned uh, last week that uh, you know that they'd lent three hundred million um, into a portfolio of London property, which included the six hundred and one room Hilton London Kensington. Um, so um, I, I think they are still very excited by by the the sector. Um, but it seems that the, the where they were wanting to play is in the debt market. And there was an interesting uh, white paper on its website talking about the opportunity to lend into the commercial property sector. Um, and in this, um, we put it out there a couple of months ago, it says how there is an opportunity to structure uh, CRE commercial real estate loans with effectively high minimum coupons in other words this nice big fat juicy margins in that you know can be obtained in the debt space right now um, and that what they're saying is traditional banks are pulling out now as usual on that pot on that uh, webcast podcast um, mm-hmm. you listen to Chris um, in, in our previous item all the traditional bank lenders said oh we're all open mm. for business and uh, as always <laughs> you talk to any of their they clients, dispute that. Their yeah. clients say, no, no yes <laughs> no they're not <laughs> they won't give me any money um and i think that's the reality that's there and in fact there is a net retreat of traditional bank lending um going on right now and aras expects this to carry on for the next 24 to 36 months and you gave some numbers chris i think about debt maturing so um aras had uh, 450 to 500 billion us dollars worth of debt um, coming due in the us over the next three years in the uk and europe it reckoned there was 390 billion of euros um this year alone maturing um so that's quite a quite a hit but he was pointing out that look you know you've got um uh, loans which are currently at ltvs of 70 percent or less um so you've got to see capital values drop by more than 30 percent um before you, you're in trouble here in terms of the value of the loan so it's it's really very low risk um so and you, you're getting uh, you know what in Harris's words you're getting you know good capital returns uh, with downside protection so you know it, it's you know debt um as it it says can generate attractive risk adjusted returns um during these times of economic volatility um so very nice very attractive why on earth do you want to go and bother with the whole equity risk piece when you can get do quite well right now um lending money into the market and maybe you'll do a back loan for some of the debt you're lending out there um and make a nice margin on that because you'll get it lent to you at a a significantly lower amount um you know some of those traditional lenders will probably be involved in it again missing out on the juicy upsides here um as always with banks they seem to turn off the taps at the wrong moment and um, keep them gushing forward when they should be turning them off It, it, it seems that this is an ongoing problem with the whole uh, traditional banking model but um, I think what is going to be happening and I'd agree with Iris's 
um, perception here that we're going to see a big shrinkage in the traditional um, bank sector and uh, growth in the non-bank lenders. Now in the Eurozone it's something like 10% of the total uh, uh, non-bank lenders. In the UK it's 25% but in the US it's 40% and I think we're going to head, we won't get all the way up to that, that portion in the US but we're certainly going to be heading in that direction. So I think it's a uh, um, very good time to be in the, the lending business now it, um, but not it seems if you're a traditional high street. And now it's time to turn to our five star and no star awards of the week and five stars this week are going to the tour company Jet2 who uh, just reported their uh, their revenues for the year to the end of the March up 40% year on year uh, back into profit and really uh, a bellwether of the uh, uh, buoyant return of uh, of holidays and uh, leisure travel. Um, almost two thirds of their passengers are actually passengers they've already sold them a uh, package holiday to. And one other really interesting point from uh, their their remarks uh, on the results, they are also proudly very prompt payers of their hotel partners. So uh, well done for that too. They are really pushing hard against the likes of um, TUI, um, which is losing market share to the the incumbents like um, the new rather the incumbents are like TUI are losing market share to these uh, newer upstarts. Um, airline orientated like uh, uh, Jet2 and to an extent EasyJet as well. Right. And no stars are going to go to the difficulty in trying to get deals done at the moment and the latest problem um, that's hit the headlines is the sale of centre parks. So this four billion sale uh, according to report I think first in the Times um, that said um, to quote um, the deal is hanging in the balance um, after a number of of prospective bidders dropped out of the race um, so I, I think this this is really plays into what we were talking about um, in terms of uh, uh, buyers um, are not so interested in the equity bit right now they're much more interested in that in that debt piece and some of those traditional um, equity buyers are you know engaged with debt and saying well look let, let's get stuck into get stuck into that but I, I think that is going to over the course of the um, the next year or two mean that we won't see quite as many deals as we had been anticipating I think we're going to see things pick up in the second half um, compared to the drought we've been suffering in the first half but I don't think there's any signs of a doubt and on that salutary note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>